Good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jared. I'm not the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. In fact, I'm not any pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. Um, I did spend almost the last four years volunteering in the toddler room, if that's something. Um, until recently, they actually came up to me and said, Hey, Jared, we know you've been serving in the toddler room for a while now, and we've got some new people that wanted to sign up. So if you want to take a break, that's okay, which I think is the polite way of saying, Hey, the kids don't really like you there. Um, so you get booted from the toddler room, and this is what you get, all right? <laughs> No, really, the reason I'm here is discipleship. We're about discipleship at River Rock Bible Church, and Pastor Charlie models that so well. He knows my wife, Devin, and I are preparing to go into full-term missions, um, and he says, man, what a great way that I can help them do that by allowing Jared the opportunity to preach here, um, by guiding him through this, allowing him to make mistakes, and giving him feedback on that. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, discipleship, and he's willing to sacrifice good preaching for the sake of discipleship. So uh, sorry, not sorry, I guess. <laughs> the title of today's sermon is All the Answers, and I've got to come clean. I don't have all the answers for you today, but some of the answers doesn't make for a very good sermon title. Um, but um, I think we're going to go through some very important stuff today, p- stuff that people really struggle with in life. Um, how do I find peace? How do I have the power to get past the struggles that I'm dealing with in my life? And how do I find purpose in my life? And I think we're going to find a lot of that in this passage today. It's a really neat passage, and I'm excited to get into it. Um, So let's pray. Um, Join me in prayer. We're also going to be praying for Dave Roberts. He's the lead pastor of Grace Bible Church. Every week we like to pray for a different church um, in our community because we're united as God's church, right? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you together. God, you have given us so many great gifts, and you are willing to do so many great things through us. God, I thank you for your willingness to use a weak um, vessel like myself to preach. Um, we, th- we pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive the message today, um, to change our lives. God, we pray for Grace Bible Church. We pray that you would make them a church that is unified in spirit and purpose so they can do amazing things in this community and the world beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Next week, Pastor Charlie is going to be beginning our Christmas series. It's based on Luke 2.14. He's going to be studying the types of peace that Jesus brings to our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at John 20, 19 through 23. It's a little bit backwards. This is Jesus' first appearance to all the disciples after his death and resurrection, right? The setting of this scripture is a room somewhere in Jerusalem. It is the evening of the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. So let's turn to John 20, 19 through 23. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So before we talk about what Jesus said, 
Let's look at what he did, because I think there are some very important learning points to gather from this. Going back to John 20, verse 19, it says, In the evening of that day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them. Notice two things that we can identify right away from this verse. The doors are locked because the disciples were afraid. And Jesus comes to them and stands in their midst. Right? These two facts reveal to us how Jesus deals with us today. Right? The doors were locked because they were afraid, and they had good reason to be afraid, right? During their time, the Jews lived under the rule of a Roman king by the name of Herod the Great. Now, despite his name, King Herod was a particularly ruthless and murderous ruler, right? He would kill anyone that would oppose him, including his own family members. So public beatings, hangings, crucifixions, they were common forms of punishment for Jews in that time. Well, the disciples spent the past three years of their lives openly following Jesus, and he claimed to have the power and the authority to overthrow both the religious and the political leaders of the world. Now, this upset the Jewish leaders so much that what did they do? They had Jesus arrested, they had him beaten, and they had him crucified. Not only that, but now his body was reported as mysteriously missing, right? So the disciples were locked inside the doors because they were literally afraid for their lives. Not only were they afraid, they must have, thought, they must have felt lost, confused, even betrayed, right? They spent the last three years of their lives committed to following Jesus, the one who was thought to deliver them from the oppressive rules of the Romans, and he's suddenly dead. How about you guys? Have you ever felt that way in your life? You ever gone through times when you've been struggling with fear? Maybe some of you are dealing with that right now. Maybe life's not turning out the way you expected it to. Maybe you have uncertainty about the future. I remember what my life looked like nine years ago before I put my trust in Christ. All the things that I put my trust in for purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction, they all failed me. I was isolated and afraid. My marriage was in ruins. I was struggling with alcoholism and depression. I was to the point where I had literally given up on my life. But let's see how Jesus responds. Jesus comes to them, and he stands in their midst, right? He didn't have to knock on the door. He didn't call through them. He didn't have to open the door. Jesus has the supernatural ability to defy the laws of physics. The locked doors could not keep him out. What does this mean to us? It means today in our lives, Jesus can go to places that no one else can go. He can reach us and reach into us anywhere and anytime. All the complex layers of your life that neither you nor anyone else can understand is familiar territory to him. At Christmas time is coming. What a, what a great time. What an exciting time. We get caught up in the parties and the presents and the cookies and Santa Claus and family and all that stuff. And sometimes we forget about the real gift, right? 
Jesus demonstrated his ability to come into our lives. He left heaven, this perfect paradise, to become a man so we could have a relationship with God. He entered the world so he could enter our lives. Jesus not only has the ability to enter your life, he has the desire to as well. Jesus came right into the middle of their meeting. He didn't stand outside the door and call out to them. And that's the same way he responds to us. He doesn't call out to us from a safe distance to avoid getting messy, right? He doesn't say, Ray, stop messing around with that fantasy football all the time. Pull your life together. Get rid of that sin and come to me. No, Jesus comes down into the brokenness, into the pain, into the addiction and the sorrow, right? He knows who we are. He comes to us at our worst, and he wants us to know him. I wasn't looking for Jesus nine years ago. He came to me. He fought for me when I wasn't really willing to fight for myself. Right? He changed my life forever that day. And the things that he entered me, that he offered me at that time, are the things that we're going to talk about next. In his first appearance to disciples, Jesus says three things. These three things are the three gifts he offers to us today. Right? The gift of peace, the gift of power and the gift of purpose. The opposite of peace is conflict. The opposite of power is weakness. And the opposite of purpose is aimlessness. Think about it. How many lives have you seen ruined today because of conflict, weakness, or aimlessness? Jesus didn't come into the world, die, and rise again for anything other than to save our lives. He saves us from ruining our lives both for now and eternity by becoming himself our peace and our power and our purpose. Twice in this passage, he says, peace be to you. Before he says anything about power or purpose, he wants to establish peace, right? The order here is so important. The peace that Jesus gives happens before and is the foundation that any of our empowered actions or purposeful deeds rest upon. We don't initiate peace with Jesus by our actions. We can't earn peace by being good people or being generous givers. Jesus initiates peace with us. The Apostle Paul explains it like this. We're going to turn to Colossians 1, 21-22. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, right? Sin. Sin creates this hostility between a perfect, sinless God and us. We're enemies with God. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, right? Jesus reconciles us with God. He restores our relationship with God by dying on the cross. The peace that Jesus offers the disciples is peace that he accomplished when he died for them on the cross. There's no other way to obtain this peace. The same peace is offered to each and every one of us. I like how the prophet Isaiah puts it. Um, let's Let's turn to Isaiah 53, 5. 
But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. If we simply acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that Jesus is God, he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, and rose again defeating death, the wrath of God is turned away from us. All the hostility between us and God was absorbed on the cross. Justice was satisfied there, and peace between us and God was established there. We talked a lot this morning about the gift of peace because it's foundational, right? In fact, it's so important that Pastor Charlie is going to spend the next three weeks talking about this gift of peace. If we don't have peace with God, we'll take all these other great gifts that he gives us and we'll try to use them to earn peace. And it never works. Peace is first and it is free. Everything else is the effect. It is fruit. Peace is the root. Before we move on, there are some of you here today that have not accepted that gift of peace. Sin in the world separates us from God, but God's desire is for us to be reconciled with him. He desires that so much that he sent his only son on the cross to die for us. It's a free gift. The penalty for our sins has been paid. But it's your choice to accept that gift. And there's no better time than now. Now let's, on, let's move on to the next two gifts, power and purpose. All right, moving back to John 20, 21 through 22. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the work of the Holy Spirit, the power that Jesus gives us, is that he makes us able to do what we are simply not able to do on our own. Don't miss the detail that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them, right? He didn't fumble around the room and find some dusty old bucket and say, try some of this stuff on. No, he breathed out the same spirit that dwelled in him. He breathed out on them to dwell in us. Let's turn to Romans 8, 11. And the apostle Paul talks about this gift of the spirit. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Do you feel that power? Or are you still walking in fear and weakness? I'm going to show you a picture of an elephant. Relax, there's a story that goes along with it. Um, so a guy's walking along, and he comes across this elephant, this big, magnificent, powerful beast. And he's standing there, and he's tied with this rope around his front leg to a stake in the ground. It's a small rope. And he thinks to himself, 
this elephant is so big and powerful, it could overpower this rope at any point in time and be free. Why isn't this happening? And he sees the trainer, and he goes up to them, and he's like, what's going on with this elephant and this rope? And the trainer says, of course, this elephant is so powerful, he could break free from these bonds anytime he wants. But we've had the elephant since he was a little baby. And at that time, the rope was strong enough to hold him. As the elephant grew bigger and stronger, he was conditioned to believe that this rope could contain him. He believed that he didn't have the power to break free from this rope. Don't we do the same thing? Right? I don't have anything to offer that person that's struggling down the street from me. I can't make a difference in this world today because I don't have the power. Maybe we just need somebody to come into our lives and say, hey, you're a big, beautiful elephant. Why don't you do something? (laughs) Or maybe we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because we're not living out the purpose of our lives, right? The power of the Holy Spirit is not a simple party trick that we can use for our enjoyment. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we are carrying out our God-given purpose in life. Here's a spoiler alert. Our purpose in life is not the pursuit of our own personal happiness. Do you know what your purpose is? Let's take a look. Going back to John 20, verse 21, Jesus explains it when he says to them, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So just as God the Father sent Jesus out into the world, Jesus sends us out into the world. So here's what we do. You remember those bracelets, those WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? We all get those. We wear them. Whenever we wonder what our purpose is, we just look down at our wrist, and we know exactly what to do, right? In fact, we don't have to ask, what would Jesus do? We know what Jesus did. We have this, right? It should be WDJD. Is that right? WDJD? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, maybe, maybe we don't have the power to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Maybe we don't have the power to raise ourselves from the dead. However, we are called to live our lives for the same ultimate goal. We're going to hit rewind just a little bit so we can see why Jesus did what he did. So in John chapter 12, this is after Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem and before he's arrested, he speaks to the Father about his purpose. John 12, 27 through 28. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So Jesus was sent down from heaven to give his life as a sacrifice to bear the burden of our sin, to bring us into a right relationship with God for the glory of God. Our purpose in life is also to magnify the glory of God. 
How do we do this? Okay. We're going to have to hit rewind just a little bit more, and we're going to go to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I can't go back much further than this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So since the creation of the first man, our purpose has been the same. We have been created in the image of God. In this scripture, it says three times, in the image of God. It means that we are God's image bearers, right? So throughout the history of civilization, rulers would erect statues in their image, and that would, they would place them to show their rule over a particular region. Now, God is the supreme ruler over the universe, and so he created man in his image to multiply and fill the earth to show his rule over the world, right? Well, there's a monkey wrench. Sin entered the world, right? The first man, their job was easy. All they had to do was have a lot of babies, but then they sinned, and so now this perfect, sinless image of God could not be adequately, adequately reflected through a sinful man. So sin came into the world through Adam, and all have sinned, and so now we don't cast an appropriate image of God. But then Jesus came, right? Jesus came to the world. He lived the perfect life. So he restored that perfect image of God. And then through his death, he reconciled us, right? Colossians 1, it says, we are made holy and faultless and blameless. So now, we still, we can't merely multiply by having a lot of babies, right? We multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in every tongue, tribe, and nation. That is how we glorify God. The moment you put your trust in Christ, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you are given a purpose for your life. It's not like a video game where you have to reach level 86 to get that Holy Spirit power up. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a purpose to your life that is much greater than yourselves. You simply need to realize the power you possess. Understand that the Holy Spirit works through us and not with us, right? That means we are not bound by our own weaknesses and limitations, So create a vision for yourselves that trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than our own abilities. How do we realize this potential? This happens through having an intimate relationship with Christ. This happens through discipleship. This happens through somebody that's been there before and has walked further than we have, taking us along beside them and saying, walk with me and I will show this to you. This happens through living out your true purpose in life. You're not going to see John Rondo sitting at home using the power of the Holy Spirit to change TV channels or to warm up a Pop-Tart, right? But you are going to see men and women performing supernatural feats 
when they're boldly proclaiming the gospel, and when they're faithfully serving others in the name of Christ. Magnifying God's glory by multiplying disciples around the entire globe, it seems like a lot. Are you overwhelmed by the enormity of this task? Well, the really great thing is Jesus showed us exactly how to do it, right? One of the first things Jesus did when he began his ministry is that he gathered disciples, right? He gathered men and women that would follow him. These weren't biblical scholars. They weren't people that were specially trained in teaching or preaching. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They may as well have been nurses or lawyers or drummers or computer thingy worker people, right? (laughs) Jesus said, follow me. He simply looked for people that would obediently follow him and that would learn from him. Jesus, he didn't take time and sit down with them and have classroom training. He didn't say, you guys have to have two years of seminary training before I'm going to take you out into the world, right? He didn't get human resources involved and have them sit down and do sensitivity training before he took them out. This is on-the-job training at its best. Another thing that Jesus modeled well was his willingness to surround himself with the lost. Jesus' mission was to reach the lost, and he did it unceasingly. He lived the life of a nomad. He offered salvation to Pharisees and prostitutes and tax collectors and Roman centurions. Jesus traveled from town to town offering salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. One of his last acts before he died on the cross, Jesus offered salvation to two criminals that hung beside him. He taught his disciples simply by showing them how to live through how he lived his own life. He taught them how to spend time with the Father, how to love others, how to speak boldly and to proclaim the gospel to anyone he met by watching him do it. And he also taught them by passing on simple stories that they could easily remember and pass down to the new generation. After Jesus' death, Jesus' disciples relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and this simple method of preaching the gospel, equipping disciples, and forming local churches to reach the world. Today, there are over 2 billion Christians in the world today because of this gospel movement. This is a little diagram of spiritual multiplication. I was telling my buddy John Fabricatori about spiritual multiplication at the gym the other day, and he said, oh, it's the pyramid scheme. (laughs) Relax, John. This is called spiritual multiplication, all right? So you preach the gospel. You share the gospel with somebody. They put their trust in Christ. You teach them to live a life following Jesus and then do the same thing to others, right? If that room full of disciples had just gone and had to take the the burden of sharing the gospel to everyone on themselves, there'd probably be like 500 people in the world today that trust Christ. But through multiplication of disciples has reached 2 billion today. From the people that sat in a room to 2 billion today. 
Imagine what the people sitting in this room could accomplish by the power of the Holy Spirit and using that method. Realize the power you possess. Understand your purpose and the means for fulfilling your purpose. I want you to all take a couple of minutes to prayerfully consider this. Open up your bulletins and look inside where we normally have the sermon notes. It's a little vision casting section. I had the chance to go over this earlier because um, I had a little prior knowledge of this. And I started thinking about how many nations God could reach through me. And I thought, uh, maybe five or six. And then I got to thinking about it. From places that I've been and from people that I've supported, I've already reached five nations in my life, either directly or indirectly. So my prayer is that I reach at least 30 nations, that I really reach at least 100,000 people. I'm the guy that got kicked out of the toddler room. Imagine what you guys could do. So take a couple minutes, pray about it, and fill out this vision casting worksheet. Okay, now don't take these home right away and throw them away. Don't leave them in your car. Um, Take these to your small groups this week. Talk them over with your husbands or wives or friends and say, how do I make this vision a reality? What steps can I take this week or this month or this year? This is what I'm asking of you today. Start living out your purpose to, to carry the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation right here right now. Consider that God may be calling you to fulfill this purpose somewhere else.
Have any of you ever heard of the 1040 window? 1040 window um, is a section of land from about 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude. Um, why it's significant is it, it's about one-third of the, of the world's land mass, but it contains about two-thirds of the world's population. There are over three billion people live in this area of land. Um, there are 5,928 unreached people groups in this area. Unreached people group means that there are not enough Christians in those people groups to be able to share the gospel with the rest of the nation. It also contains the majority of the world's poor. Eight out of ten of the poorest of the poor live in this region. So there is a need for Christ-centered, gospel-driven people to go to this area. I'm not saying that each of you are called to go there. Some of you are exactly where you're supposed to be, sharing the gospel and equipping disciples right here in Georgetown, Texas. But God may be calling you to somewhere else. So pray about that. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, right? The first word of the Great Commission says what? The second word of the Great Commission says what? The lost will not come to us, right? People are not going to come beating down our door to say, tell me about Jesus. We spend our lives from the minute we put our trust in Christ until we take our last breath, surrounding ourselves with the lost, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and equipping them to do the same. Do not let this church be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. Practical steps. Step one, start praying. God, what would you have me do? Where would you have me serve you? How can I best live out my purpose for this life? Start sharing the gospel. Start sharing it now. If you don't know how, talk to somebody that can show you how. Enter a discipleship relationship. Somebody that can take you along and say, this is how we do it. Um, pretty soon we're going to be having sign-ups for mission teams. Even if you're not called to missions, you can go on a mission trip. They're great for teaching us how God sees the world, how to make us more effective in serving others and sharing the gospel and equipping disciples. We also have a mission field right here in Georgetown, Texas. We've adopted Northwest Apartments as our local missions. Serve alongside Dirt and the other people that faithfully serve there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who brings peace into our life. The greatest gift that we could ever hope for is to have peace with you, have peace with each other, have peace with our own souls because of what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you for giving us power and we thank you for giving us purpose, Lord. Guide us this week and help us to serve you boldly go out and proclaim the gospel to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray.